Steve Austin. Welcome to Rapper Rap Wrestling News. My name is Derek Lamont Jackson. Of course, this is patreon.com slash Derek Lamont uh, experience, or you could be listening to this on the Retro Boys Podcast Network. You get these episodes on Patreon at the time that they initially launch, Sunday afternoons, and on the free feeds on Wednesday mornings. Um, just going to go ahead and jump right into the show because a lot has happened. Not more in the news point, you know, but not as like, oh, there's some crazy shit going on in the wrestling world, which there is, but I'm going to go ahead with the first story. Um, so earlier today, I'm recording this on Thursday, uh, the 14th. WWE Raw was discussed for a return to TV rated 14 programming. Apparently, this was supposed to take place on Monday, July the 18th, a couple of days before you guys will hear this on the free feeds. Um, WWE has been rated TV PG since July of tw- uh, 2008, moving to the PG era of the company. Of course, this was preceded by the Attitude Area, which is probably the most profitable time in the wrestling business other than the rock and wrestling era of the 80s where Hulkamania was everywhere and you had Hogan versus Andre, etc., etc. You had uh, the Ultimate Warrior. You had a lot of guys and stuff like that. Um, that's when it was transitioning from the territory days to cable television, thanks to Vince McMahon and the USA Network, Ted Turner, and um, his superstation, TBS, and things like that. Um, so... Apparently, this was supposed to take place on Monday Night Raw, and the first thing when I saw this was like, okay, this is quite interesting considering the state of things right now in the WWE, which I'll get to in a second. Um, TV 14, I'm all for it, 100%. For nostalgia reasons, yeah, do I want to see more of the edgy Attitude Era stuff? Absolutely. I'm 40 years old, and I, you know, I, I really want that back. This was going on when I was anywhere from uh, 15 to 18 or something like that. That was the real, real heyday. Um, my kids don't watch don't watch wrestling. I'm the only one that watches wrestling, me and my best friend. And some of his kids watch it, but not all the time. Usually when we team up to do a pay-per-view, watch pay-per-view or something like that, the kids are kind of off doing their own thing. So um, as far as it being explicit or whatever you want to call it funny thing is i'm scrolling twitter right before i started recording and someone retweeted uh, a video from the attitude era where it was really when xbox came back to wwe after leaving wcw being fired by eric bischoff and triple h had taken over as the leader of dx and there was a girl in the crowd with a sign and uh really top heavy very chesty woman and triple h is like let's see him and she pulled up her shirt and you could see her chest and her bra and then triple h was like no no let's see him and then next thing you know she pulled up her shirt and her bra and showed them this is the attitude error now of course that didn't air on tv somebody with the camera caught this live in the arena right that's the kind of shit that happened during the attitude era um china was in playboy um you had the Divas matches, or they weren't even Divas yet, they were just the women's matches. You had bra and panty matches, mud wrestling and stuff like that. You had Hell in the Cell, you had people bleeding on national television. All these things happened during the Attitude Era. WWE scaled it back in 2008 and went into the PG era. You're introducing new people to the product. John Cena effectively became the Hulk Hogan of this generation. And uh, he's granted more Make-A-Wish requests than anybody in the history of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So the business changed 
You wanted to get it in more eyes and more televisions across the country. And when you're transitioning the pay-per-views, um, especially the big ones, from small arena shows to where you're getting 15,000. Like, oh, we sold out 15 or 20,000 here for WrestleMania. And then you transition to, guess what? We're taking WrestleMania into a stadium. We're going to sell out the Citrus Bowl. We're going to sell out um, the Cardinal Stadium in Arizona. We're going to sell out Ford Field in Detroit. You're taking it to stadium shows. That's not just adults buying tickets. You're buying tickets for kids, too. And, of course, you can't go with the more risque things on television at that point. So I saw this. I retweeted it. I was like, this is crazy considering everything going on in WWE right now. I'll love Vince McMahon. Uh, and I'll get to that in a second. So then my friend Nick saw it, retweeted Bleacher Reports, and quoted me in the tweet. And I was like, yeah, I saw this. And this is nuts considering what's going on behind the scenes. So this took place earlier today. By about 5 or 6 o'clock my time, there was an update. Update on the report that WWE Raw will be going back to a TV-14 format. As previously noted, it was reported by F4W Online, Andrew, uh, Andrew Zarian on Thursday, that Raw will be returning to a TV-14 for format starting this coming Monday. However, Zarian provided an update via Twitter and wrote that there is a lot more to this story. And, there's, and quote, there's some hesitation regarding if this is the right move. Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful.com responded to Zarian and wrote, quote, I can confirm there were mixed signals given internally about this. Zarian wrote, this is a wild situation. There's a lot happening behind the scenes. WWE Raw won't be going to TV 14 on July 8th, 18th, but still in consideration for a later date. Zarian also wrote the following, quote, there was a memo within USA Network that went out this morning regarding WWE Raw changing to TV 14 on July 18th. Apparently, that was sent out prematurely, and the day was not finalized. Um, so, there's some hesitation for obvious reasons. Again, we just celebrated John Cena's 20th year. Um, the understanding was that he was apparently coming back for a match. It looked like all roads were leading to him and Austin Theory at SummerSlam. Clearly, Cena hasn't been since, seen since then. So, I've heard that apparently that match has been moved to WrestleMania of next year. People are like, well, it's rumors. Yeah, there were rumors that Cody Rhodes was coming, and nobody wanted to talk about that. And then when he showed up at WrestleMania, everybody's like, you see, some rumors are actually true. So, um, I guess they're toying with the idea of this. Given what's going on right now, as I stated, I don't know how well this is going to go over. And what I mean by that, you got Vince McMahon and some situations uh, with him paying, I think it was $12 million over 16 years to keep some relationships quiet. Well, segueing right into the next story, another law firm announces its investigation into WWE and the situation with Vince McMahon. Um, Casaquilla Law LLC announced that they are investigating WWE on behalf of investors. Wow. The investigation focuses on whether WWE and or the company's officers and directors violated the security laws or breached their fiduciary duties. Uh, from PR Newswire, WWE shareholder alert Casequa Law, LLC announces investigation of World Wrestling Entertainment, Inc. and encourages long-term WWE shareholders to contact the firm. This is Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. This is as of July 11th. Uh, this would be Monday, or last Monday by the time you guys are hearing this. Shareholder protection law firm uh, Casequa Law, LLC, announces that's an investigating World Wrestling Entertainment. 
um, on behalf of the company's long-term investors. On June 15th, 2022, the Wall Street Journal reported that the WWE's board of directors was investigating a secret $3 million settlement that longtime chief executive Vince McMahon agreed to pay to a departing employee with whom he allegedly had an affair. The article further reported that WWE's investigation, which began in April, has unearthed other older non-disclosure agreements involving claims by former WWE female WWE employees of misconduct by Mr. McMahon and one of his top executives, John Laurinaitis. Subsequently, on July 8th of 2022, the Wall Street Journal reported that McMahon had agreed to pay more than $12 million over the past 16 years to suppress allegations of sexual misconduct and infidelity, an amount far larger than previously known. The investigation is focused on whether WWE, uh, WWE and or the company's officers and directors violated the security laws or breached their fiduciary duties in connection with the above alleged misconduct. Long-term current WWE shareholders are encouraged to contact Casacola uh, Law, LLC, D. Uh, Seamus Casacola Esquire, Adrian Bell Esquire at 484-229-0750 or by email at abel at caseclalaw.com or online at https semicolon backslash backslash caseclalaw.com slash cases slash WWE slash to receive additional information about this investigation and their legal rights and options. Uh, the law firm exclusively represents investors in securities fraud, corporate governance, and merger and acquisition lit uh, litigation and has helped recover in excess of $100 million on behalf of victimized investors. Um, this just keeps getting stranger and stranger. Um, previously, Labatton and Sucro and Brager and Eagle and Squire both sent out press releases announce, announcing they are investigating WWE on whether the company has violated the federal security laws. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know where we go from here. And every anybody thinking that Vince McMahon is going back as chairman, the chances of that happening, um, I got to tell you, I just don't see it. That's just not a good look. You know, and Netflix has pulled the pulled the plug completely on the Vince McMahon documentary, and it sounds like they were done shooting it, and they had hours upon hours and hours of content from people who work with Vince or under Vince or whatever for his lifetime. Um, but they got to pull the plug on it. There's no way they can show that. Now the thing of it is this, right? They're still airing Surviving R. Kelly, or at least they were the last time I checked. So, as a cautionary tale, they aired that, and it landed R. Kelly behind bars. They could do the same with this, but I, I guess they just don't want to be involved at all, and I can understand that. It is a lot to deal with. Now, speaking of that situation, Rita Chatterton, who I spoke about a couple of episodes before this, was the, the female referee in the 80s that Vince pressured into the sexual relationship, and then basically let her go afterwards. Rita Chatterton is still speaking up. Chatterton talks about her first experience as a WWE referee and the story she was told about Pat Patterson, the late Pat Patterson, trying to convince the wrestlers in the first WWE match she re uh, refereed to injure her. Rita Chatterton was the first ever female WWE referee. She was briefly associated with the company during the rock and wrestling era of the 1980s. She would exit from the company following allegations that Vince McMahon sexually assaulted her in 1986. Now speaking on the Cheap Heat podca uh, Productions podcast, Rita is speaking about her first booking as a WWE referee and how Pat Patterson attempted to stop her from refereeing before she threatened legal action. 
Um, and when did Pat pass away? Let's just double check on that. I'm pretty sure he's he did pass away. I'm almost certain he did. Yeah, he died December 2nd of 2020, so I knew that was correct. Um, Pat Patterson, famously one of the first openly gay men in the wrestling business. I'm pretty sure he wasn't the first gay wrestler, but he was one of the first openly gay ones, from my understanding. Chatterton says this, quote, Pat Patterson, Jay Strongbow, and Richard Herring come walking over to me, and Pat Patterson's got a fistful of money, and he says, here, take this. I looked at him, and I said, what's that? He says, you're, you're getting paid for tonight, but you're not refereeing anything. I looked at him and said, yes, I am. Look, if I don't referee tonight, I will sue you personally, and I will sue you. Uh, I, I will sue you personally, and I will sue you, and I will sue you, and I pointed to the other two. So she's saying, I told Patterson, I'm going to sue you. Chief J. Strongbow, I'm suing you, and Richard Herring, I'm suing you as well. And then I will sue the WWF because I'm a good referee. I've worked hard for it, and yes, I am working. They storm away, she continued. Richard Herring looks at me and smiles because he knows me. He just assigned me. So I ended up doing my very first match was a women's tag match. I found out a few months later that Pat Patterson told the women to break my legs and make sure I never wanted to get in the ring again. Luckily, being women, instead of doing anything to hurt me, they helped me, and that's how I got started. But it was crazy. It was a crazy world. Things were so much different back then, but luckily the women knew that you had to work 10 times as hard for a quarter of the recognition that the men got at the time. So instead of doing anything that hurt me, they actually helped me, so it was my first experience. Um, despite her experiences with Vince McMahon, whom she alleges sexually assaulted her in 1986, Chatterton says she doesn't hate the world of wrestling and would be open to participating within the world of wrestling depending on the scenario. In fact, she even says that there is a 13-year-old uh, young woman named Gemma that she is helping train. Uh, quote, I would consider it. It would depend on what it was. I never completely closed the door. I would never go back to work for Vince McMahon, but that doesn't mean I hate wrestling. That doesn't mean I'm down on wrestling. In fact, I have a little girl right now that I'm training. I'm helping to train. Here's another quick story for you. My daughter has a daycare and she used to babysit this little girl and her family is big time into wrestling. Last year, she went to school and they gave her an assignment to write an essay on what uh, they wanted to be when they got older and to do the research on it. Well, her essay was done on she wants to be a wrestling diva and she did the research. She checked into it. She took her essay to school and a teacher read it and said, I'm sorry, this isn't a real job and I won't accept it. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, she's only 13, so she can't do any wrestling just yet, but she's being a valet and walking guys to the ring, doing a little bit of commentary, and by the time she's 18, she's going to be so ready for this business. Uh, Rita Chatterton's story was recently featured in New York Magazine. Um, I have to listen to this ep episode of Cheap Heat because this is interesting. I definitely want to hear her take on everything. Um, yeah. It, it just doesn't look good for Vince McMahon returning and, um... Obviously, we all understand why. You can't do this kind of thing. Back in the 80s, it sucks to say this, clearly you could get away with a lot of things, right? I'm 40 years old. I was born in 82. Um, Mad Men is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. You watch the way they treated women in, in, in the 60s and things like that, and even the early 70s. And we thought we were so advanced in the 80s, and me being a kid... But we thought we were so advanced because we had cable TV and satellite TV. And then we started getting big screen TVs and cordless phones. And and you got tape decks in your car and CD players. And we had Nickelodeon. And the world was so different. The 90s really was a decade that's considered revolutionary because the world changed. Cell phones became a little more prevalent. Things like that. 
um, fax machines, laptops, all that stuff. The 90s really felt like a generational leap forward technology-wise, um, art-wise. I would argue that 90s R&B and 90s hip-hop is the greatest era of either genre, right? So the 90s felt so, so uh, groundbreaking, but the 80s were just right before that, and clearly we know that a lot was changing. Um, or, or a lot hadn't changed. Women were, were sexually harassed, and they were made to, you know, fear men and things like that, whereas we had Paula Jones speaking up about Bill Clinton in the 90s, Clinton being impeached for the Monica Lewinsky situation, among other things. So much changed in the 90s. And I guess that's why I'm so open-minded about things, because I grew up in the decade of the 90s, right? But you look back, and it's like, I'm 40, which by, you know, yesteryear standards seems old, but it's not that old. It just isn't. Um, but the 80s isn't that far back. Again, I was born in 82. My brother was born in 1980. It's not really that long ago when you think about it. And this woman was harassed. Um, I'm definitely going to listen to this episode of Cheap Heat because I definitely want to hear more. And I got to say, again, Pat Patterson... Even Gerald Briscoe is uh, on the most recent episode of uh, the Book of Wrestling by David Shoemaker, and he talks about basically, you know, he, him, him and Patterson was, were known as the Stooges during the Attitude Era. They were Vince's trusted advisors, but they literally behind the scenes were his trusted advisors as well. Um, Pat Patterson is known for coming up with the Royal Rumble idea. Um, Briscoe handled talent backstage and stuff like that. So did Patterson. And again, like I said, Patterson, he also was the very first Intercontinental Champion. Um, Kayfabe, obviously, they said he went to, I think, Buenos Aires or something like that and won some tournament and returned with the Intercontinental title. All Kayfabe, but whatever. This is what we've been told. Um, but he's known as a pioneer in the wrestling world, again, especially being the first openly gay, or so what we're told, the first openly gay wrestler. And to find out that Pat Patterson was like, yo, y'all got to go in there and break her legs to make sure she doesn't referee. It's just absolutely crazy. And again, that tells you the 80s aren't that far away. They weren't that long ago. And it's very, very disheartening to find out this about an absolute wrestling legend. So, I don't know. Um, speaking of other legends and disheartening things. Um, last week, I commented on the story about Jordan Grace and her comments she made about Chris Benoit. And this is not me caping for Chris Benoit. What he did was absolutely disgusting. Um... So Jordan went on and issued a public statement regarding her comments about uh, Chris Benoit. Again, last week, Impact Wrestling Knockouts champion Jordan Grace wrote about Chris Benoit and said, quote, I don't think Benoit could 100% hang with most of the present-day best wrestlers. He would not be able to remember, remember matches. Also, may he burn in hell. Amen. Um, I'm not here to lift Chris Benoit up because, again, what he did was a horrendous fucking thing. Um, but to say the guy couldn't hang with some of today's talent, that's ridiculous. Chris Benoit was an in-ring general. Again, this is not me lifting him up. This is not me lifting him up at all. On Monday, Grace issued a public statement regarding the fallout from her comments. Quote, last week I made an irresponsible and unnecessary tweet regardless of how many personal emotions influenced my opinion. I should have recognized the impact my words would have on friends and family, uh, friends and family close to the situation. I was completely thoughtless in that regard. Since reflecting this past week, I've reached out privately to friends and family that I angered or hurt. 
Among those was David Benoit, Shabo Guerrero, and Chris uh, Jericho, who were supporting me in the decision to partner and fundraise with the Concussion Legacy Foundation, formerly Sports Legacy Institute. I've pledged $5,000 with the overall campaign goal of being $20,000. I am accurately aware that the damage uh, damage has been done. I would never intentionally add on to the suffering of those already dealing with such a traumatic event. And I'm sorry for my insensitivity and aggravating this already delicate topic. This is my way of attempting to squeeze something positive out of the negative situation I created. Thank you in advance to everyone who donates. Patricia. Um, just a second. Because there's more to this story. Um, so, again, when this happened, my first thing was like, I get where she's coming from. We all know Chris Benoit did a terrible, horrible, disgusting thing. He does have people who survived him in death. And his son and wife. His oldest son, Daniel, obviously still very much alive. And that's who Jordan says she spoke to. However, there's another side to the story. Nancy Benoit's sister reacts to Jordan Grace's apology. Over the course of la the last week, the wrestling world has been busy re uh, litigating the tragic case of Chris Benoit, the former WWE World Heavyweight Champion who murdered his wife Nancy and their seven-year-old son Daniel before taking his own life in 2007. But Sandra Tofol uh, Tofoloni, Nancy's sister, believes we should be remembering Nancy instead. Again, the situation began on July 7th when Impact uh, Knockouts World Champion Jordan Grace delivered what she described as her coldest take on Twitter. Grace lambasted Chris Benoit, responding to a fan who called out the focus wrestler's place on Benoit's in-ring work rather than his murderous actions, which in turn sparked renewed debates on the subject online. Grace also received backlash for saying that Benoit wouldn't be able to hang in the ring with modern wrestlers because, quote, he would not be able to remember matches. As I stated... CT obviously this is why I'm saying this part for the first time CT does terrible things to the brain and it does affect the memory if he wasn't injured yes Chris Benoit could go with the best of them probably still to this day uh Grace would later apologize for her comments and release a statement saying that she was donating five thousand dollars to the Concussion Legacy Foundation more importantly she said I should have recognized the impact my words would have on the friends and family close to the situation and that's when she stated, obviously, she's reached out privately to friends and family that are angered and hurt. Specifically mentioned David Watt, Chavo Guerrero Jr., and Chris, ben Chris Jericho. That's when Tofaloni needed to speak up. So this is Nancy's sister. Quote, it's weird. I didn't hear my phone ring, she tweeted in response to Grace. I really thought the work I've been putting in for 15 years trying to keep and elevate my sister's legacy hadn't gone unnoticed. Guess my family is an afterthought. Dot, dot, dot. Again. I don't, I don't even know where to fucking start. Hashtag heartbroken. In a second tweet, Tofaloni added, To think I broke all the years of silence, ignored my personal pain and rage to successfully put every person mentioned in this apology tweet over time and time again in the press, doing PR, and on my platforms. Why did I think it would be different? Fucking Groundhog's Day. Um, so I guess that she's had some conversations with David, who would be her nephew by marriage, uh, Shabba Guerrero Jr., and Chris Jericho. Now, Jericho formally spoke up uh, when when it was found out when we found out that that you know Chris Nancy, Chris Nancy, and um, gosh, I can't think of the youngest son's name. I'm so sorry. Um, when it was thought that they had all been murdered and that Chris was not responsible. They went ahead with the 
Jer- the celebration of Chris Benoit. There was no Raw that night. It was just people talking about Chris Benoit and his impact on wrestling. When they came to Chris Jericho, per what he says via Dark Side of the Ring, and they said, hey, we want you to say something about Chris. And he was like, yeah, I'm not on board. It's like Jericho, from my understanding, from my understanding, I'm sorry, he felt something was off and something just didn't come, wasn't out there. Like the, the whole truth wasn't out there. And that's when the truth started to pour out. And here's the thing. Based on autopsies and things like that, they can determine the time of death and the cause of death. So at the rate the other bodies were at versus Benoit's body, he died after them. Okay? So that's why Jericho was just like, something isn't right. And then WWE had to go back and retract their statements and... Uh, when the network first launched, I kid you not, if there was a Chris Benoit match on a pay-per-view and you went back to watch it, they had stripped the match from the show. I'm not kidding. Um, So they've kind of recanted on that. They've put the matches back. Um, When Ho- when the things came out that, that Terry Belia, a.k.a. Hulk Hogan, had said, they stripped a lot of Hogan content from the network as well. So... It seems like WWE wants to do the right thing, and then they go back and backtrack, and they're just like, well, it's part of history, and da-da-da-da-da. question is, with all of this, what's going to happen to Vince McMahon and his history within the company? Because he is responsible for everything WWF, WWE. He is Titan Towers. However, with everything going on, what happens next? Um, Continuing, I'm sorry. In all the exchanges surrounding Grace's tweet, there had been no mention of Nancy Benoit, despite Tuffaloni's efforts to keep her sister in the public consciousness, notably making an appearance on Vince McMahon's Dark Side of the Ring series. Vice's Dark Side of the Ring series, I'm sorry. Well, now it apparently was Vince Vince McMahon's because they were going to work together with WWE, which was not going to do anything but put a nice rosy spin on it. So it wouldn't have been Dark Side of the Ring. It would have been something completely different. Let's just all be honest about that. However... How's that going to work now with everything going on with Vince? You know, the deal that they made with Vice. How is that going to work? Anyway, uh, Nancy got her start in the wrestling wrestling industry in 1984 and Florida Championship Wrestling in, in 1989. She debuted in World Championship Wrestling where she eventually took on the character known as, quote, woman and became a regular valet manager at one point working with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. Her career later took her to Extreme Championship Wrestling where she managed the likes of the Sandman, Shane Douglas and Two Cold Scorpio. And then back to WCW, where she famously got involved in an on-screen storyline between her real-life husband, Kevin Sullivan, and Benoit. There are some people on parts of the internet that still believe that Chris Benoit did not marry her and that Kevin Sullivan did it in a fit of rage. There's a big gate outside the Benoit estate, unless Kevin Sullivan knew how to get in. I don't think this is possible, and I'm not feeding into any rumors. Whatever happened, unfortunately happened. I don't know... Only the people that are involved, and unfortunately none of them are uh, here with us anymore, and the Lord upstairs would know. Okay, so that's all I'm saying about that. Um, Again, that was her real husband at the time, Kevin Sullivan, and Benoit, whom she would marry in 2000, three years after divorcing Sullivan in 1997. That was also the year her presence in wrestling came to an abrupt abrupt end. In the middle of the Benoit-Sullivan feud, woman suddenly disappeared and was never mentioned again. In 2003, she filed for divorce from Benoit, citing cruel treatment, but dropped the suit a year later. 
Following Tofaloni's reaction, Grace reached out and offered to speak to her privately, and Tofaloni seemed amenable, saying, quote, my hurt is not aimed at you personally, but I could have, could I have a moment where I think of myself and my parents first? She later clarified that her feelings were less about Grace's tweet than about the responses from fans defending Benoit. Quote, I'm angry, I'm angry because it was the flood of outrage over her tweet disparaging his technical prowess. Tofaloni said, that's what upsets everyone. That's the hill people are going to die on. Again, I knew when this happened last week, I'm like, this is going to be very, very sticky going forward. And I, I said this, I guarantee this is, I knew this is not the end of this. It just isn't. Uh, hours later, a fan wrote the following in response, quote, Nancy was treated as an afterthought yet again. She's treated like one constantly since her death. Uh, he's all anyone wants to talk about, and Jordan is feeding into that even with her apology. She apologizes to Benoit's friends and to his son, but not to Nancy's side. Tofaloni retweeted and endorsed this message. Quote, everyone has their limits, she said. My graciousness, understanding, and forgiveness has been pushed to a detrimental level. It's not, in capital letters, not about the tweet, it's the reaction. So yeah, she's 100% upset at people jumping in being like, no, Chris Benoit is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and you're nuts um, if you don't think he can hang. And, again, I have to say it. She was wrong because the man could go in the ring. I didn't see a lot of Nancy and her work, to be completely honest with you. Um... I watched WCW in the late 90s in the years leading up to the fact to the point where it was done. So I was watching simultaneously on Monday nights Raw and WCW. If at that time Raw started at 8 o'clock for us, it went from 8 to 10. It wasn't three hours like it is now. WCW Nitro started at 7. So I would start my night with Nitro, flip over to Raw for the first for the opening segment, usually a really big promo to open up the show. And then when there was a match I didn't want to see from talent, I didn't really too much care about, and I hate to say that, but I would flip back and forth. That's how I did it. And then whoever had the strongest main event, or if they were both really good main events, I would go back and forth. So by the time I got into WCW, um, I don't remember much of Nancy Benoit. I have to be completely honest. Let's see. Um... I don't know. I I, I don't. I, I maybe I remember the Benoit Sullivan feud very very slightly, but again, if if she disappeared in the middle of the feud, then that's something I probably absolutely would not remember. To be completely honest with you, um, but I was a big Benoit fan, especially in WCW. And when he made the jump over to WWF, I was like, oh, this is fucking lit. Him, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, and Eddie Guerrero. I was like, yo. They got Jericho at the end of the summer, and they're getting these guys now. It's about to go up for WWE. And obviously, we know how things ended. And this is all very sad, obviously. Um, it's not something I really want to comment on, but it's it's news in the wrestling world. So I do feel a responsibility to talk about it. Um, if you, anybody out there, is feeling like they need help or anything like that, I will put the suicide prevention hotline number in the episode details. You know, if you feel like you're lost or hurt or you're thinking of hurting yourself or anyone else, please call the number. And that's where I'm going to leave this. Um, again, more sad things to, to um, 
comment on uh, from NoDQ.com, our good friend, uh, the big, big Daddy Cool, Big Sexy, a.k.a. Kevin Nash, provides new details regarding the end of Scott Hall's life. During the debut edition of his uh, Click This podcast, Kevin Nash talked about Scott Hall and said the following regarding the end of Hall's life. Quote, people probably don't know the breakdown as far as what happened as far as Scott passing in the timeline. Scott was in lockdown. It was in a little duplex. It was in Smyrna, Georgia. Scott was getting Grubhub and had some Chinese takeout place that would bring him vodka. He was making some Kool-Aid. He put the plastic pitcher up to the refrigerator. The ice went in it, but a couple of the pieces of ice as always, bounced out and landed on the floor. He went over and stirred it. I'm sure it was crystal light because he always ate pretty clean. He was going back to get something, and one of those pieces of ice caught his heel. He did the fucking whoopsie-daisy and fucking landed and broke his other hip. He's in the middle of his kitchen, and he's in so much pain, and he can't move. He tried to move several different times. He can't move, and finally he passes out. He wakes up, and now it's nighttime, and he has no idea. He can see where his phone is by his recliner, He's in between that and the Kool-Aid. He ends up passing back out, wakes up, and at this point it's just like, I'm so dehydrated. He's got a defibrillator and a pacemaker in his heart. He's like, I'm going to croak if I don't get some fluids. So he just turned and gutted it back to the cabinet, reached up the two hands, and just drank it through the spout sip by sip. Slowly he got enough to him that he was able to drag himself and he called 911. They came and got him and took him to the hospital, so he went to Kennestone Hospital, which is like two, a two out of five star hospital. Jesus Christ. Scott didn't have insurance. He needed to get, get the hip fixed. He had some other problems and some other issues. They did some CAT scans. When it would be time to get Scott out of the hospital, he was going to stay with Dallas Page and recover there. I got a call on Sunday saying Scott had three heart attacks and it didn't look good. And if you remember, it was DDP who broke at that head say, hey, my brother Scott Hall had some heart attacks yesterday. It's not looking good. Um, for all their work together, that's the that's the beauty of wrestling. Guys will be working together in the ring, and one is working heel, and one, one is working babyface, and they have to act like they hate each other. DDP was a babyface, and the NWO were heels until they did a heel turn with DDP. He and Scott Hall were always close, going back to their youth, when they were like maybe 20 or so, something like that. And I think... Uh, Scott and Shawn Michaels met when they were really young as well. But Dallas was one of his great friends. You know, when you talk about the clique, you talk about Hall, Nash, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and X-Pac. And people don't really think about the fact that Diamond Dallas Page and Scott Hall were really close as well. Um, Again, I got a call on Sunday saying Scott had had three heart attacks and it didn't look good. I tried to get a flight to Atlanta but couldn't, so I went back to Daytona Beach and then couldn't get a flight out of Daytona Beach. At that point, they said they were going to pull the plug and the doctor said it would be maybe 10 minutes that Scott would be alive. So before they pulled the plug, all the click guys got on speakerphone and we all talked to them. We all cried basically all we did. Seven hours later, Scott was still alive but then died. Um, wow. So, um... Man, that's it. The last moments of the life of Scott Hall, uh, an innovator in the business. The click was so over like fucking Rover. They were as big as you could get at, you know, at any time in this business. When people talk about The Rock, they talk about Austin. They talk about Shawn Michaels. They talk about John Cena, um, NWO, DX. These guys were all larger than life. Remember, the members of the click made up the principal members of not only DX but NWO. There's a clip where Sean says the click owns this business. 
and it was click north which was sean and hunter and dx and then there was click south which was hall nash and x-pac in the nwo the click really ran the business the two most influential stables in wrestling history in my opinion and in a lot of people's opinion if you say three you would have to add the bullet club because they are the most influential of the la of this current generation and, and the last couple of five years or so but nwo dx make no mistake about it the click owns this business to quote Shawn michaels so um it was really sad for me when Scott Hall died. I loved Razor Ramon. I loved when we went over to WCW and they did the Outsiders. And uh, Scott Hall will always be my guy. I often do the quote, um, hard work pays off, dreams come true, bad times don't last, but bad guys do. He was the bad guy. And um, I don't know if it's comforting to some people to hear the end, but uh, I guess it kind of gives... It gives me a little peace and to know that they all spoke to him before he passed on to the afterlife and um you know they like they said i'm i think hunter said it i'm gutted i lost one of my brothers today and keep in mind we didn't know what was going on with hunter and then we find out i think the friday thursday or friday of wrestlemania weekend i want to say it was friday that he basically almost died and it's like man i'm 40 and these guys are my heroes and i grew up watching them they're in their 50s and if you don't get medical attention at the right time it can cost you your life the sad part is obviously he didn't have insurance and i know that personally a lot of them reached out to hunter before there is a time where they had to put sean waltman aka x-pac aka one two three kid aka six into rehab and um you know they reached i think Actually, Kevin Nash reached out about maybe trying to get Vince to pay for insurance. for It was either Waltman or Scott Hall. I can't remember which one. I do know that the last time, the first time China and Triple H saw each other since their breakup and the whole Stephanie Hunter China fiasco was when Hunter went to pick uh, Sean Waltman up to take him to rehab. So there's a lot of years, a lot of memories with those group of guys. Um I don't know. I'm going to have to listen to this whole podcast. So I got some stuff to listen to this weekend. Obviously, I'm going to listen to that and also Cheap Heat for the Chatterton stories. So there's a lot going on. Lastly, I um, have two stories to report on really quickly. Uh, Tony Storm's last days at WWE. Um, apparently this happened at a house show it was at a house show back in december here in dc and charlotte was no selling during the match in a triple threat with sasha and tony storm charlotte got the w and immediately left to go to the back sasha seemed to be consoling tony in the ring after tony quit wwe the next morning gave me the impressions the veterans just kind of do whatever the fuck they wanted house shows uh someone goes on to say yeah you could see that tony was just emotionally defeated after the match sasha gave her uh the excuse excuse the use of emoji here it's the the shrug emoji where they have either a guy or a girl doing it like what do you want from me and then seem to be consoling tony taking uh talking her up to stay positive while it happened i thought it was a work since tony had just lost the match then i saw the news the next day about her quitting and realized it was for real it wasn't a work at that point it was a shoot um so yeah apparently charlotte won the match and then just kind of bailed and you know when you become top talent unless you do something super fucking nuts you're almost irreplaceable 
if you're helping carry the brands um there's a video i think it's wwe 24 i can't remember which episode it is it is when i think roman roman beats triple h for the title in the main event at that wrestlemania and this is also the wrestlemania with the sasha charlotte becky um triple threat match for the first women's championship where they retired the diva belt and they went on to win those titles and then they got on the company's private jet because they were the champions leaving wrestlemania and they went out to do press and stuff in the morning probably like the today show or something like that when you're one of the top ones and you've got the strap one of the the high straps you know they're gonna put you on a pedestal they're gonna fly you around the country even if you don't have a strap, strap and you're one of the top talent in the company and you're keeping the company afloat, yeah, your face is going to be on the, the Travel 18 wheelers. Your face is going to be on the pay-per-view posters. When it's WrestleMania and they have things that go on the streetlights in the city and they put you on the side of the stadium and all that stuff, you're going to be front and center. Um, So I guess Charlotte has got to the point where, um, I hate to say this, it's, if you didn't believe she was Ric Flair's daughter before, which is stupid because she looks exactly like him, but if you didn't believe her before, you absolutely have to now. You know what I mean? So it just sucks. Obviously, Tony Storm picked herself up, dusted herself off, and she ended up in AEW, and I think she's doing absolutely gangbusters over there. So keep killing it, Tony. Love your work. Love what you do. And again, Sasha, thank you for being there to console somebody. You know, And again, when they made the comments about Sasha and Naomi being unprofessional, well, look at this story right here goes no further than this lastly here to talk about somebody i have a lot of affinity for i'm team natty i hashtag natty hive on twitter all the time uh natalia comments on no selling a finish from wwe live event but then deletes her tweet Liv morgan successfully defended her smackdown women's title against natalia and ronda rousey at the wwe live event over the weekend in sacramento california this would have been the last weekend. Uh, Morgan hit her oblivion finisher on Natalia to win the match, but then Natalia immediately popped right back up. Natalia pointed at Morgan, said something to her, and then abruptly left the ring. Now, this kind of fits with the Tony Storm situation. Natty is a heart, right? She trained in the heart dungeon. She's the daughter of the late great Jim the Anvil, uh, Anvil Nightheart. She's the niece of the late great Owen Hart. She's also the niece of the late the not late great. I'm sorry. The late the, almost did it again. She's also the niece of the great Bret Hart, often thought to be one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. The excellence of execution, execution, the best there is, the best best there was, the best there will ever be. She's also held the SmackDown's Women's Championship multiple times in WWE. Had the Divas Championship and the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. She is a WWE Grand Slam champion. I think maybe the only thing she hasn't done is win the Money in the Bank briefcase or the Royal Rumble. I'm pretty sure those are both it. I would double have to double check, though, on the briefcase. Um, I love Natty to death. This is wrong. She should You don't do that. You just don't do that. Um, with fans speculating about why Natalia didn't sell Morgan's finishing move, Natalia sent out the following tweet, which she ended up deleting. Quote, I'm breaking character right now, but I actually said thank you if you must know. Heart emoji. And that was the end of the tweet. Um, Probably best to not say anything at all, but I'm guessing people who were at the live event. Again, live events aren't televised, so you had to be there to know. The curtain call incident, not televised. It was a house show, a.k.a. a live event. Somebody was there to catch it on camera. If the camera hadn't been there, maybe Triple H's 
trajectory goes up a lot quicker than it did. He, you know, Vince told him, you're going to have to learn to eat shit and like it. And he got kind of pushed back down the card. And the, the curtain call happened in 96. Hunter didn't win the WWE world title till the night after SummerSlam 99. And he was supposed to get it way before that. He had to do a lot of mid-carding and a lot of jobbing. Um, I love Natty to death. I am one of the biggest Natalia supporters. But she was wrong for this. She's been in the business long enough to know. The business is in her blood. She knows you You take the finisher, you sell it. You don't pop right back up after the finisher unless you're not supposed to be pinned. Unless you're, unless you're not supposed to get the three count. If you get the, L, if the shoulder up to get it to a two count, that's one thing. But if you get the three count, you're supposed to stay down and sell. And she didn't sell. And that just looks really bad on her part. Again, Natty, I love you. I've said this to you. You know this. But you were wrong in this instance. I'm sorry. You just were. But anyway, that's all the time I got for you guys right now. Um, I am going to be taking a break coming up. I haven't really planned it out soon. But I will be taking a break soon. Just want to let you guys know that. As well as anybody who listens to the All Our Nonsense podcast content. I will be taking about a week break from recording things like that. Um, so I want to let everybody know that. But as always, I'm going to end this like I end every other podcast. My name is Derek Lamont Jackson. I encourage you to believe in yourself first and foremost because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will believe in you. Also, again, as I stated earlier, if you are having thoughts of harming yourself or harming someone else, please reach out to the number in the episode uh, notes. And I'm definitely praying for you. As always, this is Derek. I got to go. Peace out. I am C.M. Punk.